Are we all ready? We're ready for the word. We're ready to give our attention to the word. Ready to be instructed in truth. Amen. We're ready to embrace truth. The word of God. Amen. All right. So this morning I want to just continue with the fruit of the spirit. And um, last week we looked at it and a little bit about walking in the spirit. Now I don't know if you cast your minds back to Galatians 5. And uh, what I shared and then I jumped into Romans 8, Romans 6. And we saw that the mind features greatly. Everybody say the mind. The mind features greatly. And this morning it may not seem like it, but I'm continuing with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit only comes by walking in the Spirit. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, since you live by the Spirit, and then if you walk in the Spirit or led by the Spirit, the natural result will be the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When I say natural result, it's the natural result of living in the Spirit, but also with your cooperation, but we're going to get onto that. So, um, it was very much on my heart just to touch on this, but First um, John chapter 2, I think it's from verse 15 to 17, the Apostle John says this, Love not the world, nor the things in the world. Now, does it mean that you can't have a nice house and a nice car? No, it doesn't mean that. He says, love not. In other words, don't love it more than you love the Father. He says, love not the world nor the things that are in the world. For anyone who loves the world has not got the love of the Father in them. So there's a dichotomy. So you either love the world or you love God. Jesus mentioned that thing about serving two masters. Remember? And um, he says, the lust of the eyes... All that is in the world, he says, the world and all that is in the world is through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or boastful priding, I think, the pride, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible says. And it's not of the Father. He says, the world and all its lusts will pass away, but he who does the will of the Father abideth forever. And so there's a permanence in the fruit of the Spirit but there's a temporariness in the world and all its desires. Now, once again, let me just say that it doesn't mean to say that you cannot aspire to having nice things. It doesn't mean that. It means you have it in its proper place of priority, but your love for God is always higher than those things and takes precedence over them. It's one of the ways that God tests your love. I don't know if you've ever done this. You start saving to buy something, and you're so excited about it, and you get a portion of the way into the saving, and then he says, sow it. Put it in the offering box. Give it to PJ, you know, for teaching or something like this. And you're going, you know, because it was blood, sweat, and tears to build that up. And that's one of the ways that the Lord helps to keep us free of the love of the things in the world. And sometimes he actually wants you to go all the way and do it and just say, okay, let me be released from the passion that I've attached to this thing, which seems to be crowding in on my love for God. He's done it to me many times, many, many times, many, many, many times, until then I pretend that I don't desire it. I just try and kid God. I don't really want that. I'll just buy it if I want to buy it. (laughs) But he knows our hearts, amen? And so... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You can see it in the temptation of Jesus. You can see it in the temptation of Adam and Eve. And those things drag them away. It enticed them. There's a power. Now, I'm talking as if now this morning that you're natural Christians. Is that okay? I'm not talking as if, you know, because you guys are spiritual Christians. Is that right? 
I mean, there's not such a holy bunch of people in the whole world as are sitting here with their pastor. Amen. And so this is different to what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, where he talks about the walk and the, the being led by the Spirit. And then, you know, the cultivation with the Spirit's assistance is the fruit of the Spirit. And he says the alternative to that is the works of the flesh. It's interesting that the law you have to work. And it's amazing that it's the law of sin and death, but flesh works is the things of the flesh. But this morning I want to take you, and let's look at it at, from Paul's angle. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. We're going to read it, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, brethren, in view of the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God, Paul described in Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. All the mercies that we have through the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Then he gets to chapter 12, and he said, Now, all that Jesus did for you, which I've outlined in 11 chapters, he says, by those mercies... I appeal to you to do something. So listen, any revelation that God gives you is not a revelation until it becomes a manifestation in your lives. Truth in your life is not true until it's become true. Is that okay? You understand what I'm saying? So people can go, oh, I've got this great revelation of the love of God. Well, if you're not walking in love, then you didn't have a revelation. You got some ideas. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... As a living sacrifice. So Paul says, present your body. So I'm just going to abbreviate this morning. Your body has to be presented as a what? Living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Which means your whole life that you are living in your body. Okay? Your whole life. He says, I want you to present it as a living sacrifice. And then he says this. He says, holy acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Now, that's the authorized standard version. The new American standard says, for it is your reasonable, or the NIV says, your reasonable act of worship. Okay? So you present your body as a living sacrifice, which is equal to your whole life. In other words, that your whole life must be an act of worship to God. In other words... Your life needs to be truth-revealing, Christ-exalting, exemplary, holy life. Is that good? He says that's your reasonable. So it's reasonable in the sense that it's reasonable. It really is reasonable. In other words, in view of everything that Jesus has done, the most reasonable thing you can do is respond to his mercy and live a life that worships him, that declares his worth. Ship. Is it okay? In other words, it's not a life, we'll see by the context, it's not a life that exemplifies me. It's a life that exemplifies him. It's a life that doesn't speak of my worth. It's a life that speaks of his worthship. All good. And so he says you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But how do we get there? The apostle Paul tells us, and I'll just mention our reasonable act of worship a bit later. But verse 2, where he says, But be ye transformed, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a conformity. That's why I mentioned 1 John 2, 15 to 17. The conformity comes through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, the lust of the flesh talks about the passions, 
you know, because this flesh wants to be pampered with what it wants. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, is the glitz and the glamour, those things that we see that we want. And the pride of life talks very much about, you know, what my sense of accomplishment is in this life, what I've done, what I have achieved. And John says, that's not from the Father. That is not the love of the Father. If there's that kind of love for the world, the love for the Father is not in him or her. And so we're not to be conformed, but transformed. In other words, we're not to be squeezed into the mold. We're not to be in the image, the likeness of this world. We're not to be after the pattern of this world. Many, many verses that tell us that we do not walk like this world. Jesus said it like this. We're in the world, but not of the world. So don't be conformed. In other words, the way that you handle things must be totally different to the way the world handles things. Your value system must be totally different to the value system of the world. The things that the world treasures is not necessarily what we treasure. And so conformity to the world can only be changed by transformation, that we be transformed. So in other words, what God is expecting in our lives after we got saved is a transformation. It's what the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is so ardently working on in our lives is this transformation. It's not stuff. If you listen to a lot of the prophets and preachers, it's about stuff and stuff and stuff and rich and prosperity and blessings and breakthroughs. And, you know, the bigger the breakthrough the prophesy, the greater the offering that they get. Yeah, Church, come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. And we've got to be careful not to fall into that trap. I'm talking us as ACF. There is a prosperity that is not finances. Is that okay? There are riches that is not money. There is blessings that are not things. And so that transformation is the process that you're in right now. Is that okay? Come on, say, I'm being transformed. Woo-hoo. And there's many verses, many verses we can jump off now. You know, all the preachers, are, their minds are going dig, 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 to other verses. You're connecting. And so this transformation is so powerful Because this transformation is from a word metamorphete, I think it is in the Greek. But the English word is metamorphosis. It's that process where the caterpillar undergoes its transformation, pupil, larval, adult stage. And Paul tells us that from the time you got born again, you were in this metamorphete in this metamorphosis thing that is going on inside of you. If sometimes you're wondering what on earth is happening to you, this is it. He's transforming you. Amen? And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that it's from glory to glory, with ever-increasing glory to the very image and likeness of Jesus. Come on, church. That's where God is taking us. Amen? That metamorphosis, that transformation. That is happening inside of us. And incidentally, there's only one other place in the Bible where that word is used. It's used in all four of the Gospels. Of the transfiguration of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount, you could say it like this. On the Mount of Transformation, Jesus was transformed. He was transfigured. The Bible says that the glory of God shone through him brighter one of the gospels says, brighter than the sun. 
and it was like his raiment was shining so brightly, no fuller soap, no detergent, no cold wash Omo, no bio whatever. You could get it that bright. Because literally the glory of God within shone so brightly through that it even affected his clothing. Even his raiment. Amen. Shone with brilliance and the glory of God. And that talked about an inner transformation that was outwardly manifest. The disciples would not have known that this transformation in Jesus was happening unless they saw the brightness. Come on, church. In other words, the transformation is to be seen. Come on. If you're being transformed, everybody around you, your family, the world must see the transformation. They should be able to behold it in your daily activities. In other words, that transformation in you should effuse through everything you touch and everything you do and every place that you are. Transformation. So that transformation, it's so powerful. But how does this transformation take place? This metamorphete. How does this transformation take place? Paul tells us, conformity to the world, transformation, in other words, conformity to God, conformity to the image of Christ, is only one link. He says, by the renewing of your mind. Come on, everybody say it. The renewing of my mind. Say it. By the renewing of my mind, so let's say, make it a confession. By the renewing of my mind, I will be transformed away from conformity to the world into conformity to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's the mind, church. It's your mind. It's your mind. That's where it stands or falls. The leading of the Holy Spirit. The walking in the Spirit. It's to be done with a transformed mind. So Paul throws a whole other aspect on it. He gives us another look into it. So, into conformity to God's will. Wow. What is God's will? What is God's will? There's a few, about three verses in the Bible that actually says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, your sanctification, or that you give thanks, or whatever. What is the will of God for your life? I like what John Piper says. John Piper, a great British theologian, says this. The will of God is a very common phrase. When we use it, we may not know what we are talking about. That is not spiritually healthy. If you get into the habit of using religious language without knowing what you mean by it, you will increasingly become an empty shell. And many alien affections move into empty religious minds which have language but little or wrong content. So come on, church, what is the will of God? So maybe we can touch on it a little bit this morning. The term, the will of God, has at least two biblical meanings. The will of God. There's two aspects to the will of God. There's what is called the sovereign will, the sovereign will of God. In other words, there are things that God has decreed, and whether you're saved or unsaved, it's going to happen. Whether you pray or don't pray, it's going to happen. Whether you resist it or don't resist it, it's going to happen. For example, he prophesied the coming of Jesus. Well, the devil and the whole world tried. They couldn't stop it. That's the sovereign will of God. It's going to happen. Is that okay? The wrapping up the appearance of Christ and uh, you know, us being glorified and transformed. Oh, that's, by the way, um, I just wanted to m- mention here this metamorphosis. 
that takes place in us now is now in the mind, and then progressively it starts to happen actually physically in us. So much so that Jesus is, and I think it's in Matthew 13, talking about the wheat and the tares, and he talks about the righteous will then shine like the midday sun in the kingdom of their father. So he's talking about a time when literally, physically, people will see the same thing that happened to Jesus in us. Woo! Amen? Bring it on. Yeah. Hallelujah. And that's why John says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And this is what we are. We are. We are now. Okay? He says, What we will be has not yet been made apparent. The reason why the world doesn't know us, it didn't know him. But when we see him, come on, when we see him, even progressively when we see him, not even let's talk about his appearance, but when we see him and see his will for our lives in the word, when we see him, we shall be like him. For we will know him even as we are known. And so there's the sovereign will of God, and there's nothing you can do about it. The second thing concerning the will of God let me talk about it, is the revealed will of God. Everybody say the revealed will. Okay, say the sovereign will. I can't change. The revealed will. I can do something about it. So here's an example. The revealed will of God is this. God wants all men everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth, to be saved. That's the revealed will. That doesn't always happen. God says, I don't want any covetousness, any lying, any stealing. Well, that's not happening. So there's the revealed will that we see in the scriptures that God shows us this is the lives that I want in the people that I've called, which is everybody. But his revealed will doesn't always happen. It's dependent on us. Everybody say, it's dependent on me. Say, the revealed will is dependent on me. There's the sovereign will, and then there's the revealed will. I'm going to just throw it in in case you ever hear it. Some people talk about the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God. I'm still making my mind up about that. The perfect will and the permissible will. Because it's not God's perfect will, but it's his permissible will. It's almost like, wow, I can do whatever I want to do. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I want his perfect will. Okay. And so the will of God is his revealed will. Now there's a pathway into the will of God. There's two aspects to the will of God, the revealed will for our lives. And the one is, how should I call it? Mm, let's call it casual godliness. Casual godliness. This is where the majority of Christians live. That's why Christians have got a bad name. That's why a lot of countries call themselves Christian as opposed to atheist or secular, or Christian as opposed to Muslim, or Christian as opposed to Hindu. It's by name and not by nature. And so there's an occasional godliness. In other words, John Piper calls it spontaneous godliness. In other words, they live their lives as Christians, and if they stumble into godliness, well, that was a bonus. If somehow, you know, they're a bit more patient than their unsaved loved ones, well, that's a bonus. It's kind of like spontaneous. It's occasional. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But then there's the path... So let's call it, you're going to get something from this, I can tell you, occasional godliness. Or there's the path of wisdom. So we know what Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. 
So there's a path of wisdom that goes, and I'm going to say something. I'm just challenging us this morning. There's a path of wisdom which James talks about that he said the wisdom that is from above. There's two wisdoms. It's the wisdom of the earth. This one is fleshly, unspiritual, selfish. But the wisdom that is above is peaceable, pure, and full of good fruits, impartial, etc. So there's a path of wisdom where I go to his word, and because of, we're going to look at it now, because of me embracing his word through wisdom, through knowledge, I get the information. Through wisdom, I understand what his will is, and then I start to apply it in my life. It's a path of wisdom. And this path is to be sought. This path is the walking in the spirit part. This part is to be walked out. This path is to be lived. Are you getting me, church? Am I talking too high? Am I keeping it simple enough? So it's the path of wisdom where I go to his word. That's why the Bible talks about in all you're getting, get knowledge, get understanding. So in understanding, in regards to evil, be infants, but in understanding or wisdom, be mature men. And so it's just seeking out. So as far as God's will is, there's the sovereign will, there's the revealed will, but we need to not be in occasional godliness. We need to be in wisdom. The majority of the church is in occasional godliness. In other words, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Come on, church. I did a, a leadership session at Alma with her leaders, and I spoke about the power of godliness. Everybody wants the power of the Spirit. You know, the power of the Spirit is in your godliness. Should I say it again? Everybody's after the power, man of God. I want the power. Lay your hands on me. Transfer the power. So you want to get a shortcut to the power. There's a lot of people that treat it like that. You know, I'm the ATM, the lucky charm. And if I see anything in you, I want it. You know, I haven't walked the life you've walked. I'm not prepared to walk the life you walk. Can you just give me a shortcut and put some oil on your hand and slap it on my head? You know, it's what Reynard Bonker said. A lot of ordinations that go in a lot of churches, there's empty hands on empty heads. So the day I went for my, my ordination, I just said, Jesus, my, hand, my head is full. Let these hands be full. Ordain me. <laughs> you know, I don't want an empty hand on an empty head. I want a full hand on a full head. Yeah. Amen? So it's the will of God, this path of wisdom, okay, that we need to embark on and walk with God. Now, the will of God, here Paul says it. There's three parts to the will of God. He says, because by the renewing of your mind, you are able to, one translation says, I think the NASB says, that you may test. Now, God doesn't want you to test his will. Let's see, well, let me test this tithe thing. Let's see if it works or not. Nah, it's not for me. You know, I could put that down on a, a new grinder or something. You know, I could upgrade my car if I didn't have to tithe. Don't try it. Don't, it doesn't work. You mysteriously find that there's not enough money. And so... It's proving what is. And the thing is that whole proving process is you going to the Word and discovering the will of God, and then you prove for yourself that it's right by doing it. Okay? And he says that good, that acceptable, and that perfect. The NIV says pleasing. But the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Now, why does Paul use all three words? The will of God, there's a lot of, Good people doing good things in the world. 
there's a lot of bad people doing good things in the world. Is it the will of God? Not necessarily. So it's not just a behavioral thing. Paul is taking us on a journey. He says, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not saying that the transformation that you will undergo where you step out of the conformity to the world into conformity to the Spirit of God or to the image of Jesus by the process of transformation is not swapping one to-do list for another to-do list. It's not swapping one bunch of rules for another bunch of rules. You know, there's kind of like the rules of the law, and uh, I'm going to swap that for another list of rules. Yes, ACF rules on how to be a good member and a good Christian. It's not that either. It's transformation. We'll talk about that just now. And so he says, there's a lot of good people doing good things. He says, but even you know, Jesus said in John chapter 7, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who've done the will. The will. So you can do a lot of good things. Might not necessarily be what God wants you to do. So the good things that we do, we need to get from the word. Is that all right? The good things... We need to get from the word. And then it is acceptable. So in other words, the good we do must be acceptable to God. And what's acceptable to him is what his will is, what he desires, what he says. And then it is his perfect will. Oh, man. Now, perfection we can talk about for a long time. You know, this church knows. Amen. And so, in other words, what is good what is acceptable to him is everything that is taking us on to our perfection and completion and maturity in Christ. Come on now, that's a good place to say. <laughs> Amen? So it's got to be good. It needs to be acceptable and must be leading us to perfection. Okay, That's his will. That's his will. In a nutshell, that's his will. I'm keeping it brief. And so this transformation into the will of God is by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds, not religious terminology in an empty religious head it's knowing what his will is and it's not a cliched thing it's not a christian platitude it's not a nice little saying you know that the church is famous for its little saying and it irritates the wee out of the world seriously a lot of the christian platitudes irritate me someone loses a child and they come and you know, say things like, God wanted a flower for his garden and he came and picked your baby. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, how wicked is that? Can't say things like that. I remember being asked to pray for this couple that worked for SAA many years ago. And they were in the Dutch Reformed Church. And um, they phoned me and they said, we've heard that you know, God uses you in these healings and miracles. And, and they said, um, there's a congenital disease we both have this a certain thing with their chromosomes that passes on to their children and the babies are born and they don't last long, they die. I can't remember what the name of the disease was. And I remember going around and seeing this couple and I mean my heart broke here, they're holding their second baby. First baby died because of this genetic disorder at a few months old. Now they have the second child in the hopes that it wouldn't. The baby was tested, it had. And I remember I just wept with them and they said, our Dwemenis came to pray with us and they said, you know, you're so special. God chose you to have these babies. 
And she was sitting there weeping. She said, I don't want to be special. I just want a normal baby. I cried my heart out. I asked her for forgiveness for the insensitivity, the stupidity of her dominies. I prayed the baby was not healed. I prayed for the baby, but a little while later the baby died. What kind of stupidity is that? That comes from people, empty heads who don't know the will of God. Don't know. So we mustn't. We need to know what the will of God is. Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So the link now we've seen of the non-conformity to the world, but the transformation into a conformity to the will of God, which is the image and the likeness of Jesus. The link, the bridge, is the mind. Everybody say the mind. The mind. By the renewal of your mind. So it's by the mind that we transform, we metamorphosize. Everybody say it transforms us first on the inside, then on the outside. Okay. This transformation, I'm going to throw that in here. The transformation of the mind, it's an incredible thing, brings us into a place of freedom. And then we'll go back to the mind. So Paul tells us, very interesting, Paul tells us, and, and was what I read last week, Galatians 5, the great passage of walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, starts off like this. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then, brethren, in the liberty wherewith you have been set free, and don't return again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery was the law with sin, which equaled death. That's why Jesus said, and I think it's Matthew chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 11, last verses, he said, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. Come unto me, and you will get rest for your souls. Come take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come learn of me because I am merciful. In other words, I'm the one that's bringing the grace. Amen? So I will change your yoke from the yoke of slavery to a yoke of freedom. And that almost sounds like a contradiction. Because he's saying, I'm going to set you free to enslave you. That's what he's saying, isn't it? So you're going from one yoke to another yoke. But the other one is law and works and it's heavy and the other one is light and it means that you can pull it and it brings great peace and it brings great freedom, but you're still under a yoke. Good. So Paul said it like this in Galatians 5. He said, brothers, God has called you to liberty. Only don't use your liberty as a license, but love one another. He says, so the freedom that you've been given is a freedom from sin and death and the law, and, but it's going to bring you into a place where you're yoked in to love and love one another. And so that freedom, what is that freedom that Paul talks about? And uh, it brings us into freedom. In other words, if we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 7, Romans um, chapter 10, verse 3, that we see that it is a life of utter submission. You know how many people hate this word. You know how many weddings I do, including Christian weddings, and the wives tell us, don't use the submission word. You know that. Don't use the submit word. As they keep the submitted, I have to omit, wives submit to your husbands. 
because we are liberated. Come on, there's an evil going on in this country. They're blaming the sins of men on a patriarchal society. We need a patriarchal society. But we need holy men standing up as men, leading as men. And I'm not into the liberation of women per se that way. But what I'm looking for is the femininity and the godliness of women. It doesn't mean to say they can't do the job like the men. Because in Christ we are all one. There's not even male or female. But listen, there is a role within the relationship that God has defined. Amen? Even in the smallest team of two, you can't get a smaller team than that. There has to be a leader. So God says, well, I created you to be the leader. Lead. Submit. Is that okay? Come on, church. Come on, this world is messing it up. Loving leadership will automatically bring loving followership. Does it mean she doesn't have an opinion? No. Does it mean she doesn't have a say? Most times. Um, no. I'm talking. Yes, she has a say. Does she have an opinion? Yes. Because as the more sensitive, normally the much wiser partner, because he will march on like this. And, and the sensitivity to wisdom and practical wisdom in her, there's a consultation. And then they come to the decision that is godly. Then he says, right, that's the direction we're going in. Because when it gets tough, she might go, oh. And he's going, no, 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 that's it. This is the plan. That's the way we created. It's a role. Come on, church. And so it's utter submission to God. Number one, utter submission. Number two, Paul talks about it. Because remember, he said in, in Romans chapter 8, and in fact, in Romans chapter 6, he says, well, this is with the next part we come on. He says, don't offer the members of your bodies to be slaves to unrighteousness. Offer them as instruments of slavery to righteousness. Is that okay? Because whatever you serve, that's your master. And so one is utter submission. And the other, Paul talks about, is total enslavement. That's why Paul can talk about being an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. On the other hand, he says, a bondservant. I loved him so much, he gave me my freedom. Stuck the all through my ear into the doorpost. I'm a bond slave for life. Are you getting something? This freedom, let me just tell you what it looks like. This total freedom. Total freedom that he's brought us into is this. He's so transformed us that we love him. It was so transformational that because we love him, we see the things that we ought to do. And no longer is us doing something that we're supposed to do by gritting our teeth and just going, okay, Jesus said I must love you. <laughs> and then we say things like, I don't love you with my own love, but I love you with the love of the Lord. <laughs> Somehow we're supposed to be impressed with that Christian platitude, eh? Oh, shame. He doesn't like me. He doesn't love me, but he loves me with the love of the Lord. Oh, touch my heart. <laughs> no, listen. If he's transformed your life, you look at people that have hurt you, and there's a redemptive love inside of it, and you look at them and say, you know, I love you. Yeah. And you love them with your love. It's not somehow, magically, his love comes into your heart. You shut the door on your heart, open the door on his love, and woo, love leaps out. And you go, oh, well, that was some wishy feelings for them. And then afterwards, when they walk away, it's like, oh, actually, I hate that person. It irritates me. But there's a redemptive love. 
it's where there's been a blending of your will and his will. Like Jesus, when he came to the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Your will, your will. And there was a blending of wills. And from that moment, you looked at Jesus, and his will was the Father's will. True freedom comes in this. Are you all getting it? True freedom comes in all of this. That what you ought to do, you love to do. What you ought to do, you love to do. No law. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, against these things there's no law. You all got it? That's true freedom. And that's why Jesus could say, as a command, love one another. Well, I love loving one another. <laughs> forgive one another. God, that's the real easiest thing to do because I just love forgiving people. It's true. I'm making it lighter, but that's true. That's true. Because the alternative is just too painful for us. I went to go and see a man once, a friend of mine. He was actually in the church and uh, hadn't seen him in church for a long time. I went to go and said, I said, hey, brother. He goes, do me. So I said, how are you? I said, I haven't seen you in church for a long time. Are you offended? He said, I was for a little while, but it was so heavy, I just put it down. He said, <laughs> he said I picked up an offense, but it was so heavy, I put it down. Come on, church. Loving what you ought to do is the liberty, the transformation that he brings us into. And that's why John says, if the love for the world is in you, you have not the love for the Father, the transformational power. But the thing is, the mind. Let's get back to the mind. And we're heading down to a close. What is the problem with our minds? What is the problem with the human mind? What? <laughs> Lots, yeah, yeah, being honest, yes. What is the problem with our minds? And why does our mind renewing? And what does a renewed mind look like? And how can we pursue and enjoy this renewal? So I just want to just talk about a couple of things very quickly. So there's some parallels to Romans chapter 12 that Paul gives us. And the first one is in Ephesians 4.23. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.23, over here in Romans 12, he says, by the renewal of your minds. What Paul says in Ephesians 4.23 is a little bit different. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What did he say? The spirit of my mind. Say the spirit of my mind needs to be changed. I'm telling you, I'm giving you gold today. This is gold. This is a treasure. The spirit of my mind. I need to be made new in the spirit of my mind. Let me see if I can explain this. I was watching ENCA, and um, the program was called Influence. And they were looking at the current racial tension and hatred in South Africa. Blacks against whites, against Indians, against whatever. And there was a company called Bal Pottinger that was hired by the Guptas to stir up the racial hatred so that it would be a massive distraction so they could plunder the assets of the state. Watch that. Go and Google and watch it. Powerful. Powerful. Bal Pottinger and, and, and the person that led it was Lord Bal. He started as a salesman, very intelligent man, hooked in all these other people, and they brought about changes of governments all around the world. They brought about revolutions and things all over the world just by going in, doing PR work, advertising, 
And the thing that worked so effectively and so successfully in South Africa was Facebook. Please be careful what you read on Facebook. They used Facebook to stir things up, to feed in things. Farm murders that happened many years ago, they'd bring them in another farm murder. And if you didn't look carefully and see the date, you'd think it just happened. Etc., etc. They coined the phrase, white monopoly capital, Bell Pottinger. Put it into the mouths of the revel and the minds of the revolutionaries, and that's all you hear now, white minority capital. Just for your information, there is a black minority capital in South Africa. There is a bigger black middle class than a white middle class in South Africa. Now, I'm not preaching politics. I'm just stating facts. Okay? So don't get tense on me and think I'm being racial. I'm not. And the thing is, they did this documentary, and there was, from the Daily Maverick, there was a lady, a um, reporter, that jumped on it and started doing investigations. And I forget her name, but a young black lady in the DA cottoned onto it, and she went into the courts where Bal Pottinger, the company, and Lord Bal himself was being put on trial. And she stood up and presented absolutely brilliantly the effectiveness of what their company had done in South Africa. And that's when the government stepped in and shut Bal Pottinger down, the British government. Shut it down. Lord Bal just recently died. Powerful, powerful program. You need to see it. And we, we all need to make sure that that advertising campaign is not in us. Okay? We need to make sure it's not in us. Don't fall into that stuff. Because it brought about racial division in South Africa. And they were doing it for a purpose, paid for by the Guptas, to plunder the state while everybody is fighting each other. We couldn't see the theft that was going on in this country. Influence, that's what it's called. And she said this, the reporter said this, because then the civil movements got together, people groups, community got together, and everybody started to placard, and they started to chant, and with it was Zuma must fall. That was part of it. But it went on from there and ended up in the court case. And she said this, the woman reporter, she said, there's a I'm using her words, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I do agree with it, but in, you know, I would modify it. She said there is a natural bent in the universe towards the triumph of good over evil, truth over lies. And she said the bent leaned in our favor. And that's why we're liberated from the influence of Bal Pottinger. So what I want to say is this. The natural mind has a bent in it. It has an attitude. The natural mind has a spirit. It has a mindset. Not only does it have a view onto the world and onto things, it has a viewpoint. It has got a voice. In other words, the mind of natural man has an opinion. And the opinion is actually anti-God. And that opinion, that viewpoint is pro the world. That viewpoint is anti-submission and anti-enslavement. That viewpoint inclines towards, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it when I want to do it, and I want what I want, and I want what I want when I want it, which is always now. <laughs> is that right? And so there's a spirit in the mind. And Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, he says this, that the spirit of the mind needs changing 
before the mind can change. Is everybody following me? So the attitude of your mind, the attitude, the viewpoint of your mind, the bent of your mind needs to lean towards Christ and His Word, His glories, His holiness. We need to be looking at Christ and wanting what He wants more than what we see over there. More than what rises up inside of us because of our old style and patterns of living. We need to have a bent. So we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Is that all good? So the mind, the human mind, is not a sophisticated computer that just manages data and then passes the information onto the heart for a moral decision. No, 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 no. It has an opinion of its own. Is that right? It has a will of its own. So we need to be renewed. So I just want to very quickly look. Romans 1.28. Romans 1.28, Paul talks about the unregenerate man. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind. And this is who we were by nature. We do not want to see God as worthy of knowing or knowing well and treasuring above all things. We know this is true about ourselves. This is what John Piper says. We know this is true about ourselves because of how little effort we expend to know him. And because of how much effort it takes to make your mind spend any time getting to know God better. Paul says this in 123 of Romans. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. In other words, the best image I have in my mind as a carnal believer is the image of myself and what I want. And so Paul talks about two things concerning the spirit of the mind. Well, the Bible does. The first one is in 1 Peter, and then I'm going to close. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. Peter talks about this. Concerning the spirit of my mind, he says, Prepare your minds for action. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Previously, we were ignorant of God, number one. And he talks about conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Number two, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, he talks about the passions of your former ignorance. Passions. So there's ignorance. How many of you know that we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to God? Is that right? Because the natural mind is ignorant of God, so it needs to be educated. Now, education in itself is not the cure, because very educated people, I gave you an example of Lord Bell, look at the wickedness they brought about in this country. Education does not transform you morally. Doesn't. Education does not. So it's not more education, but it is more education of the word. Is that okay? To start to change the spirit of your mind, we need to have a knowledge and understanding of his word. And then the passions. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4.22. In Ephesians 4.22, he calls it deceitful desires. Um, it's another way of saying that. He calls it deceitful desires. So what is the answer to all of this? What is the answer? So let's just do a recap because of time. I'm going to just sum it up. So Paul tells us, that our walk in the Spirit, our being led of the Spirit, our producing of the fruit of the Spirit, is going to require transformation. He talks about that in view of the mercies of God, we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, because this is our reasonable act of worship. 
It's our whole lives declaring the worship of, worship of God and exalting Christ. He says that this will happen by not conforming to the world. John says not having the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. No conformity, but transformation. This transformation is a metamorphic process into the will of God and understanding what the will of God is. Not God's sovereign will necessarily, because sometimes we don't know it, but certainly his revealed will, and the path that we take is the path of wisdom with humility. The key thing, so he brings us into this freedom, but this freedom is not a license to do what we want. The transformation transforms us to a place where we love what we ought to do. Is that right? And that love is the love of the Father. And the transformation is in the mind. But Paul takes us further in Ephesians 4.23 and he says that the spirit of the mind needs to change. The attitude of the mind. And he says because in the natural mind there's ignorance. In the natural minds, there's passions. In the natural mind, there's desires, deceitful desires. And both of those need working on. Both of them. Because the illumination of the Holy Spirit in the Word will get rid of ignorance. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the passions. Because otherwise, you will still do what your passions desire. In other words, suddenly there's an illumination of the will of God by the Spirit. And there's the desire to live out His will. To do what he wants us to do. Everybody with me church? Now so what is my part? Because it seems like so far. A lot of this is the Holy Spirit's work. Yes it is. That's why we need the Spirit of God. A lot of it is. But how? How then? How do I comply with the change of mind? The first thing is that I go to the word. There is a way of wisdom. Can I say this? And this is a prophet saying it. And this is someone who loves to hear the voice of God. The majority of the church is hell-bent on getting to a place where they can learn what the still small voice of God sounds like. But they ignore the volumes of His voice in His Word. There's whole seminars, how to hear the voice of God. You are a prophet. You can prophesy. And I teach those. But thankfully in it, I always say the primary way of hearing the voice of God is through the word. We all want to go, Jesus, lead me. Jesus, lead me. As if we're ignorant of his will. And many times, many Christians are. Because they're too lazy to go and turn the pages of the Bible. It might not tell you which brand of orange juice to drink today. It might not tell you Weetabix or cornflakes. But those are all peripheral things. Those are all inconsequential things. Those things do not matter. What matters is godliness, which is powerful. That's what matters. But we don't want to go. We would rather go to a prophet. What does God say? Go and read your Bible. What's the will of God for me? Go read your Bible. Is that right? That should only be a small percentage of your hearing God. So the Holy Spirit has got two actions. Two actions. Including two actions. The first one is he works outside in. So he comes to you. And he starts to work from the outside in and he starts to bring revealing the revelation and gives you understanding of the word. And that's what 1 Corinthians 2 is all about when he says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ in order the spirit is coming to help us to know what the will of God is, to read his word, to be illumined by the word, to understand the word, to know what it is that God is saying to me, to me through the pages of the Bible. 
but I'm too lazy to read. So he works outside in. And in the process, he's changing the spirit of my mind because the connecting scriptures here is in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says you know, that we with unveiled faces are all beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that's the spirit that brings the illumination. Is that right? So anything I see of the glory of Christ, you know, or glory of God in the face of Christ is the illuminating work of the spirit which I see in the pages of the Bible. And I go, wow, wow, wow. He's busy changing the bent of my mind. The spirit of my mind is changing. Then he starts to work inside out. Slowly starts to transform with my cooperation to his grace, to his ability, to his power within. He starts to change it where I want to be like that, where I love to be like that, where the things that I ought to do, I want to do. And this is the laws written in my heart by the Spirit, not on hearts of stone, but tablets of flesh. And so I'm talking about the natural carnal mind. But Paul tells us something that gives us hope, just in case this morning I shot you down and you feel, you feel like I sunk your submarine <laughs> or something like this. And I thought I was pretty cool until Pastor John preached his message this morning. No, 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 it's the truth. So let me just say this. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived or has entered into the heart of the mind of man to know the things that God has prepared for us. But, but it has been revealed to us by His Spirit. So we know, we should know the things that He's revealed for us. Amen? And this, the Spirit does, speaking spiritual truths in spiritual words, communicating with us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2. And he goes on with it and he ends up in like verse 16, I think it is. And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. So transformation is in your hand. Transformation is possible. Lord, that stinking temper I've prayed about so much, you mean to say I can get over it? Yes. Lord, that fluke word that swears out every now and then, can it go? Yes, it can go. Look how far you've come. Look how much you've changed. Look what has happened. Come on. If we walk in the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, we will do what the Spirit requires. In other words, there will be a transformation, renewal of the mind. No longer conforming to the world, transformed into conformity to His will. Enslaved, totally submitted, but yet so free because I do what I love to do. Come on, that's life in the Spirit. Did you get something? So Father, I want to just thank you. Lord, over your people, I just declare this morning, they have the mind of Christ. They have the mind of Christ. Father, I want to thank you that the spirit of the mind has been changed. The spirit, the attitude, the viewpoint has been changed. Lord, your people don't just have a view. They have a viewpoint. They have brains. They have minds that lean towards you. The bent is towards God, towards the image of Christ. That's where the inclination is. Father, I want to thank you that as we continue to search out the pages of your Bible, your people just begin to experience the illuminating power of your Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, transforming them and illuminating your Word, that they begin to discover more accurately, more intensely, more purposefully, more accurately what your will is for them. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name, that this is a church 
And I declare that on all of our saints. This is a church that truly walks in the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Why don't you give? Did you get something? Was that deep? Have you ever heard it like this before? Never. Come on, give a God a hand and just say, Lord, I love your word. I love your word. It's illuminating to me. I treasure your word. Amen. We need the word and the spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.